All right. With all of that said, we're going to go now into week two of our new series in the book of Jonah in the Bible. We're calling this series Escaping God. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn to Jonah chapter one. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. So we're going to start this morning at verse four, not doing very many verses again this morning, just four to six. So as I said last week, we'll be done this series in 18 years and it's going to be a great 18 years together. Here's verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Many of you will be familiar a bit with the backstory of what's going on here. God has a prophet, and his name is Jonah. And God says to that prophet, he tells him to go to a particular city to go to Nineveh. And as we were looking at last week, Nineveh was a wicked city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire of the time and, 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 and a brutal, a torturous, uh, harsh, harsh empire. And that was the capital city. And Jonah goes, nope. And God's telling him to get up and to go northeast from where he is. Jonah says, no. And he goes south. He goes to a port city named Joppa. He gets on a boat and he is out of there. The boat is heading west into uh, what is a place that is thought to be uh, now in modern day Spain. He's going as far west, as far away from Nineveh as he can possibly get. And that's where we've picked up these verses here this morning. Now, because of this horrific blizzard that is going on outside, because you all had to walk in minus 35 or 38 or whatever it is to, to get here this morning. I thought what I might do this morning to help us all out, and, and, cause I know in the alpha video that we showed a few minutes ago, did you notice the beach scenes in the alpha video? Some of you are going, what alpha video? I just watched the video you showed about the beach, and I was just loving that this morning. Um, what I want to do is, is tell you a little bit of a story this morning that also has to do uh, with summer and with water, and uh, me and a couple uh, other guys who are in this church. Some of you are already familiar with this story, but here we go again, and it's a story that you're going to keep hearing probably once or twice a year, because I love to tell it. Now, I own a really old uh, sailboat. It's a 1979 McGregor 25. It, it was not that much of an investment. Um, it's fallen apart a little bit. I have affectionately uh, called it Broken Vessel, and that is a very fitting name for that boat. And uh, I love going out on that boat. And uh, not this past summer, but the summer before, I called two guys who were in the church. They're both here this morning, so Max and Johnny, some of you know these guys. I said, guys, I've, I've worked out the calendar with Natalia, and Natalia's saying it's cool if I take a night and go, and let's, let's go camp on the boat for a night. Let's go do a few miles on the Ottawa River, and let's go and enjoy this together. And the guy's are like, yeah, that sounds really good. So we meet up, and we get on the boat, and out we go. Now, at that stage, and still today, I'm, I'm learning how to sail, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a city kid. I, I didn't grow up on water. I didn't grow up knowing how to use a sailboat. So I've been trying to figure this out as we go along. But I was so excited for that trip that I just wanted to get out on the boat, and I didn't think to, in detail, check the weather forecast. So we get in the boat, and we're going out, and we, and we get out onto, it's called Lac de Chen. It's part of the Ottawa River, just a little bit west of here. And we get out, and I'm looking around. I'm like, man, these clouds are looking really, really dark, like really, really dark. 
And as we moved along even further, I'm looking around the lake and I'm, I'm realizing there are no other boats anywhere on the lake. And then I'm noticing lightning and hearing the thunder. And I'm starting to think, I don't know how good of an idea this is. There, there, there's an understanding in sailing that if you're caught in a thunder and lightning storm, the thing to do is to get near a boat taller than you so that it gets hit. All right. So I'm looking around trying to find another boat. And there are no other boats anywhere on the lake. And there we are in our sailboat. And it is pouring rain. The wind is picking up like crazy. And we're basically sat underneath like a 25-foot metal flagpole on the boat, right? Not where you want to be in a thunder and lightning storm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I'm the captain of the ship, right? Like, I'm like, I've got, I've got to lead my crew well here. I, I don't want them to see that I'm actually quite nervous and extremely inexperienced in this situation. And you're kind of going, guys, I, this, the boat, the mast might get hit. I'm really not sure. And it was kind of a scary moment. Now, if any of you have studied anything of like naval history, a friend of ours in the church here was in the Navy for years and he'll be familiar with this. Naval captains are known for being, if, if, if they're men, if they're women as well serving on a ship, mariners, brave people. I mean, they are brave, brave people. So the photo that I want to show you that I think would be associated with this is, is this is a mid-19th century painting of somebody. Look at the storm. Look at the waves in the background. And there he is, right? Nothing. He's even wearing his hat. I mean, the wind has an effect on everything else except for his head, it would seem. This is a brave, brave man. This is not me in that moment at all. I was not at all like this. But we did get a photo afterwards after we survived this horrible storm that ended up going through Ottawa and actually tearing up trees and all sorts of things. There we are. So there's Max, Johnny, and uh, there's uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway, um, basically right here. And we were just grateful to get out of that storm with our lives. Now, for experienced sailors, unlike me, and unlike these other guys who both are civil servants and don't have much experience out on the, uh, the high seas uh, themselves... But for experienced mariners, to be in a storm when you are actually afraid, like like really, really fearful, you know, you know if you're hearing of that, that the storm must have been truly fierce. The storm that the three of us went through for an experienced sailor, an experienced mariner, it would have been nothing. Like they, they, they it just just would have been a day out. It would it would have been anything to to speak to anybody about as any sort of big event. But the story that we read in Jonah. What's going on here in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4? This is a huge storm that is hitting the boat that Jonah is on. And the mariners that are on that boat with him, they are freaking out. They are terrified because this storm is so big. And they don't know what's going to happen. But we need to ask, well, why were they in that situation in the first place? Why is it that they're even there? Why are they in the situation where they're absolutely panicking as experienced mariners on the Mediterranean? Big, huge body of water, huge waves, huge gusts of wind. That would not have been uncommon at all. But in this situation, they are panicking. They're absolutely losing it. They think they're going to lose their lives. Why are they in that situation in the first place? And the quick answer is this. They're in that situation because Jonah, a man who was on their boat, is trying to escape God. That is why the storm is there. Now what's Jonah doing in this situation? Jonah's not up on the deck of the boat and and panicking with the other sailors. Jonah is actually down inside the boat and he is asleep. Like he, he is exhausted 
asleep. He's, he's asleep like you sleep after a, a marathon, from what I've been told. I cannot speak of that of experience, but I've been told that after you do in, intense exercise like that, like for that long, you are, you are out. You are out cold. He's absolutely exhausted, physically exhausted. But not only physically exhausted, he is also mentally exhausted. I don't know if you have experience with this type of fatigue, this type of tiredness as well, but this is also what was going on in Jonah at that time. Jonah as a prophet of God. Jonah is a man who, who, like the other prophets in Scripture, God gives messages to, to take to other people, like God speaking through him. Jonah would have been very aware of the seriousness of God's word. He would have been very aware about the weight of it, about this is, this is God speaking, and he would have been very aware that he had made a decision to say no and to go another way. And as a result of all of that, he was physically exhausted. He was mentally and emotionally exhausted to the point that this storm is raging on the sea. The sailors are freaking out and Jonah is completely unaware of all of it because he's down in the boat getting tossed and turned and tossed and turned and he is sound asleep. There's a type of exhaustion that can come from being under intense uh, emotional and mental anguish. There's a type of exhaustion that can come when we're under anguish because we know that we have disobeyed God when we know that we're running from him, when we know that we're trying to escape him. Terry Virgo is a friend of ours back in the UK. He says this, he says, How many Christians suffer from lethargy and general aimlessness? We have a glorious commission to tell the world about Jesus, but how often do we give the impression of having a vital sense of destiny? Forgetting God's command to reach the nations, we simply adopt our own plans, like Jonah certainly has in this case. We soon lose our sense of direction, get bored, and fall asleep. So the world regards Christians as sleepy and irrelevant rather than provocative or prophetic. In that situation, none of the sailors would have looked at Jonah and would have thought, well, there's, there's a provocative man. There's a leader. There's somebody who speaks on behalf of God. That was not their response to him at all. You know what? We can do the same. Sleepy Christians, for those of you in the room who are Christians, I know that wouldn't be everybody in the room. But as a church, we don't want to just focus on those who don't know Jesus. We also want to call those who do know Jesus into life, into being awake, and in, 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 arise. If you're here this morning, you have a relationship with Jesus, are you able to relate to that a little bit? Have you known times in, in your walk with God when uh, you've, you've, you've been sleepy? You know, you've been sleepy. It's just, it's just, you just find it exhausting. And so sleep becomes a, rather than a, a, a godly thing in the way that the Bible talks about like Sabbath rest and, and a rest that brings glory and honor to God, but instead sleep becomes a type of escapism. Sleep becomes a thing that, that, that we can go to as I just, my mind is just in such anguish over things. And often it can be over our own sin, over decisions that we've made, over things where we have appointed ourselves as God, or we've said to God, God, I know better than you. And strangely, we seem to physically feel it, like we feel tired. Mentally and emotionally we feel it, and we just want to lie down and sleep, because to sleep in that situation means 
at least we think for a time, that we can escape. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about the storm that's going on here, the, the, the very thing that's raging on outside while Jonah's there, and he's sound asleep in this state of what I've just been speaking to you about. We read in verse 4, it says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That's what's going on outside while Jonah's sound asleep. That's what's happening outside. The Lord hurled. That's an interesting word, hurled. It's not just the Lord allowed a storm to kind of brew up outside. The Lord hurled a storm at the ship that Jonah is on. I remember when I was a kid, I remember playing baseball for a while. I, 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 was, I was a pitcher, and I remember my coach over on the side yelling to me, hurl it, hurl it. If the ball would get hit to me and I'd be over there in the pitcher mound, I had to get to first. Hurl it, like with, with everything you've got, get it there, hurl it. And this is the same word that's being used here. The Lord hurled this storm at Jonah. And man, there's something about reading that that we don't like to hear, isn't there? Because what, what happened to, what happened to like the, the, the kind, gracious God, the, the, the tender God? This doesn't seem in keeping with, with the character of a God who says that he's slow to anger, slow to wrath, abounding in steadfast love. God, you say these things. The Lord hurled this storm at Jonah. We don't really have a framework for that. We want, we want our Christianity, we want our faith to tell us how great we are and, and, and how loved we are and how comfortable everything should be in our life and how all of God's thoughts are completely consumed with us and with our greatness and how we're so hashtag blessed and all of these things. We want it to all be about us and our glory and our comfort. And then we read something like this, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. What do I do with that? Where do I where do I take that? God, how is it that you could allow that to happen? We need to be careful, friends, that as we're going through our Bibles, that we don't read it too quickly. There are absolutely times in life when storms can be hurled at us, can be thrown at us, and it is not a storm of God's doing. Read the book of Job in the Bible. Some of you are familiar with Job's story. You'll know that that is the case there. Where Satan is the enemy of God trying to get at people, causing disruption, causing pain, causing storms. But our Bible, including here in Jonah chapter 1, also clearly teaches that there are times in life when God will point a storm at one of his children. Why? (laughs) Why? Why is it? Why would God allow that to happen? And in some ways, I'm not going to be able to give a full answer right now because this is a huge part of what this entire book is about and it's what we're going to be in over the coming weeks. But what I can tell you this is that if you are a son or a daughter of God, any storm that God puts in your life is meant to draw you back to Him. It's meant to draw you closer to Him. It is always for your good. And the reason for that is that God knows for Jonah in that situation, it is far, far worse to be away from the presence of God than it is to be in the worst storm that we could ever experience in life. Far worse. So the God who created the wind and the waves and the earth and all of it, the earth is the Lord's, will use these things as a means of drawing His children back to Him. 
And we'll see that as we continue to go through this story in Jonah over the coming weeks. It means that if you're here this morning and you know you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're a son or a daughter of God. But there's a storm that is happening in your life of God's doing. And in some cases, we, we, we don't know, God, is this, is this coming from you or not? In Jonah's case, and we'll pick this up next week, he knew. He knew he had been disobedient. There was no question in his mind. That's next week's sermon. But there's sometimes in our life where it's not quite as clear. But even still, if we are in that situation and we are in a storm of God's doing in our lives, it means that we should not despise him for it. It means we should not hate him for it. Proverbs says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, my son, I love reading through these Proverbs, the, the, the voice of a father to a child. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. That reproof means, means rebuke or correction. Why? Why should we not despise it? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Some of you are fathers in this room. Many others will be. Mothers, parents. The way that God parents sometimes is so, so different than the way that we do. We can think, well, delighting in a child, surely it wouldn't look like this, but God, everything that he does is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. He promises everything that He does for us if we are in Christ is for our good. So we don't need to despise Him when we find ourselves in those situations. If we're in a storm of God's making in our lives, don't let it, don't hate God for it. Take it as encouragement that you are a son or a daughter of God, that He loves and He knows that whatever that storm is that you're facing is nothing in comparison than you being, from you being separated from Him. That would be a far, far worse place to be in. And God is wanting to draw you close. For Jonah and for us, any storm of God's doing is not proof that God is cruel. It's actually the opposite. It is actually proof that He is kind. It's actually proof that He is gracious. There is grace in this storm. And again, we're really going to see that as we keep going through uh, this story over the coming weeks. There is grace in the storm. There certainly was for Jonah. There is for you and I as well. In Jonah's case, uh, the storm came pretty quickly, didn't it? You know, it, it, we, there's just there's no verse kind of in between. He kind of gets on this boat, and then suddenly there's this storm that, that hits. It's kind of cause and effect. He makes this decision to disobey God, and he gets on the boat, and then there's a storm. Sometimes in our lives, some of you in this room, I know I do myself, we have experience of this, where we make an active decision. God, no, I choose to not believe what your word says on that. I choose not to listen to you on this or to listen to those that are charged with my care on this, even though they're saying and, and it's grounded in the word of God. No, I'm not doing that. And quickly a storm comes in, quickly. We find ourselves in, in the situation of our own making because of that decision. But you know what? I, I suspect for most people in this room, more often than not, it doesn't happen instantly like that, does it? It's not, you know, like tornadoes. If you, there was actually a tornado that hit the southern states uh, yesterday, part of the same storm system, I believe, that we're experiencing here right now in Ottawa. Tornadoes can come in, they, they can happen really, really quickly. Hurricanes, not so much. Hurricanes out in the mid-Atlantic take days, weeks in some cases, to form. Tiny, meteorologists watching this, kind of seeing what is that. Is it going to be? Is it not going to be? doesn't look like there's much there. Maybe there's something there. 
And they're watching in the satellite images and it's building and it's building and it's building. And then by the time it makes landfall, it's, it is a huge, huge storm. That's often what it's like in life. Right? Think of, think of an addiction. Think of something that you, uh, have been addicted to or, or are addicted to right now. It's just come into your mind. You know what it is for you right now. Where did it start? Probably, it didn't start in a massive event, in a massive thing. It probably started really subtly, really quietly. Just a little bit of an experiment, a little bit of peer pressure, a little bit of, oh, maybe I'll give this a shot. Oh, well, no, nothing really happened there. It's not really a big deal. It's fine. I'm going back to it again. Oh, maybe a little bit more, a little bit deeper, a little bit more time, maybe a dollar or two more, maybe five or ten bucks more. The storm is brewing. It's getting bigger. The clouds are getting bigger and bigger. And before we know it, landfall. How did I end up here? This thing that just started as this is now this. We feel completely hopeless, completely lost. That's often what it's like with sin in our lives. It's not often the way that Jonah experienced it of choosing to disobey and immediately there's a storm as a result. Often the storm brews over lots and lots of time. And it can be hard, can't it? Some of you even this morning, upon hearing that, know how costly that can be, whether it's been something in your own life that you have walked, decisions that you've made, or those close around you. Uh, loved ones, people in positions of trust or authority who've made decisions, and, and, and their storm, if you will, has had or is having a huge impact on you, but you know where it started. It seemed to be so innocent. It seemed to be so small, so insignificant. But now it's big and it's dark and it's really, really hard. And some of you might be thinking, so is what you're saying is that every storm in my life is, is, is caused by my sin? No. I want to make it clear that is not what we're saying. That is not what we believe the Bible teaches. But I like the way that Tim Keller puts it. He says this in, in a book that um, I meant to mention actually at the beginning of this sermon. It's called The Prodigal Prophet, and it's about Jonah, a resource that I would highly recommend to you. We're going to be drawing on it a lot as we go through this series. But in that book, Tim Keller says, if we violate the laws of God, we are violating our own design. Since God built us to know, serve, and to love Him. The Bible speaks sometimes about God punishing sin, but some other times of the sin itself punishing us. Both are true at once. All sin has a storm attached to it. So again, just to be clear on this, is what we're saying this morning is that every storm that you face in your life is a result of your sin, you wicked sinner. No, that's not what we're saying. However, as Keller is saying here, every sin causes a storm for someone. And we should humble ourselves and be open to the possibility that we are in storms. Maybe even right now, even here this morning, there are storms of our own doing, of our own creating, because we've chosen to rebel against God, or at least storms that we have initiated, and that God is using that storm to want to draw us back and to say, my son, my daughter, trust me. Every sin causes a storm for someone. This was the case for Jonah, wasn't it? Jonah's not alone on the boat. 
He's not alone on the boat. He's there. He's with these other sailors. He's with these mariners. I mean, they, they, they worship other gods, right? Like we might be tempted to read, to read this story and think, oh, well, sure, surely the storm's there because Jonah, this holy prophet, he goes and he spends time around those pagans, that, that word pagan, just people in, in the Bible who worshiped other gods. Okay. I do not recommend you now use the word pagan with your friends at work or at university. That's not the point. But when we read that word in scripture, understand it in that way, that's what it's speaking of. People that worship gods other than Yahweh, other than the one true God of scripture, the people of God, the people, the God that they worship. Jonah's there. He's a prophet of God. But he's on the boat with these, with these pagans. So surely the storm is aimed at them. Well, no, we know that that is not the case, but they're still caught up in the storm. They're still there. And it's costly for them. We read in these verses, they're taking cargo and they're throwing it over the side. They want the boat to sit up lighter in the water because it's going down and it's taking on water. Oh, if we can, if we can get the boat a bit lighter, maybe we won't take on as much water. Maybe we'll be spared. Maybe we'll be okay. Cargo going over. And with every box of cargo, they're throwing off the side of the boat. They're seeing like, like money attached to it because that's cargo that's not being delivered. That's payment that they're not going to receive, but they're desperate. And they are completely caught up in Jonah's sin. <laughs> completely caught up in it. They're there, their lives as well in peril. When we actively make decisions to disobey God, to say, God, no, I know better than you do. Not only in those situations are we putting ourselves at risk of the consequences of that, but also those around us. Those around us who we love, who we care for, and also those around us who are complete strangers. That's what's going on in the boat. Jonah's there. He's just a paying passenger. Still, these complete strangers are caught up in the consequences of his sin. We're called Grace City Church. It's, it's a reason why some of you have actually come here. Because we emphasize the grace of God regularly and often in the life of our church. And we're never going to stop doing that. Like we don't, we don't see grace as, as like, as like a, a, a teaching of the church that is kind of like one in a list. We want to teach about all these things and kind of in that list is grace. We see, uh, the, the way that I would describe it is we kind of see, we see grace as like the, I forget what you call, what's the stuff that goes between bricks? Is it mortar? It kind of touches everything, right? That's grace. We, because of grace and, and in our understanding of grace, we understand the things of God. We understand the things of salvation. We understand God's intentions for humanity. All of these, it flows through all of it. And some of you this morning are hearing this going, this does not sound like really good news, what I'm hearing this morning. This this doesn't really sound like grace. But I want you to know that what you're hearing preached to you this morning in this book is grace. Because God is a loving Father. And he will stop at nothing to draw his children to him. At nothing. This storm that is hurled at Jonah isn't even the biggest thing in this book that God will stop at to draw his children to him. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. So don't think this morning that what you're hearing is, is something that is, div- is void of grace or void of God's compassion for you. It's actually evidence of that very thing. Sin and storms and tragedies. So what, what's, what's the good news then, Rich? Like, the good news that we're supposed to be hearing about. What are we supposed to be celebrating this morning? Where's the good news in all of this? What's the answer? What's the answer? What's the hope that we have? Well, interestingly, 
the answer for us actually comes in the words of the captain. I found, as I was going through this this week, and coming across this, I, I really found this speaking to me personally. It's one of the joys I have. Uh, others who preach in this church would speak of that as well. Letting the Word of God preach to the preacher first before standing up. I totally missed this before. And we see this in verse 6. The captain came to him, came to Jonah. What does the captain say? What do you mean, you sleeper? What do you mean? What's that about? What are you doing? Hey, sleeper, what, do you notice the storm? I said, what are you doing? We're all out on the deck. We're all out crying out to our gods, hoping that one of the gods will hear us. One of the gods will take pity on us and the storm will cease and we'll be saved. What are you doing sleeping? Get up. Call out to your God. And the captain says that to Jonah out of absolute panic. What then, friends, is the answer for sleepy Christians? What is the answer for the follower of Jesus who this morning here at Grace City Church knows that there's areas of their life that they've said, no, God, I'm not doing that. I know you say that, but no. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work for me. I'm going my own way on this. And you're finding yourself with the winds howling. What is the answer for you? It's actually to hear the words of the captain, but not the tone of the captain. It's to hear the same words, but to hear them from your loving Heavenly Father. Your gracious Heavenly Father who says to you, my child, my son, my daughter, why are you sleeping? Arise. Call out to your God. Call out to me. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm for you. I am with you in the storm. The captain of the ship doesn't even know it, but he's preaching the very thing to Jonah that Jonah had been called to preach in Nineveh. Nineveh, why are you sleeping? Why are you so wicked? Why have you so turned your backs on God? Arise! Call out to the one true God that He may show mercy to you. This pagan, not God-worshipping captain of the ship, is preaching to Jonah. He's doing it out of panic, but within that we find the very answer for us. You find yourself in that situation this morning. Son, daughter of God, listen to God's words to you this morning. Why are you sleeping? Rise. Look to me. Trust me. He is with you in the storm. And if you're a son or a daughter of God, He promises that that storm will be used for your good. Paul, a man very familiar with storms. I don't mean just like emotional or leadership storms. I like literal storms. That guy got, he was shipwrecked twice, swimming around in the Mediterranean. He spent a full night and day in the Mediterranean because of a storm. This guy knows about shipwrecks. But in Romans 8, verse 28, he says this. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means that if you're here this morning and you're a son or a daughter of God, even the storm that is raging in your life right now, God is using it for your good. And there is nothing that that storm can throw at you that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. It means that when we face these storms, we can face them with hope. It means that we can face them 
trusting in our God that this storm is not going to be enough to separate us from Him. And in fact, that God is even using this storm for our good, to draw us close to Him, that we would see more of Him, that we would know more of His grace and mercy. What's the storm that you're facing in your life right now where, where you're thinking, God, you're just absent from that. You're just not there. You're not in it. Here are the promises of Scripture to you this morning if you are a child of God. All things are working for your good. All things. Including the storm that you're facing, that is facing you right now. So the question for us this morning is not, will we face storms in life? We're all an adult here enough to know that we will. Right? We will face storms. The question to you this morning is, will you know peace in the storm? Will you know hope in the storm? Because you are in Christ Jesus. Can you know that your God is using that storm for your good? Do you know Him? Have you surrendered your life to Him? The greatest storm the world has ever known, not in the, the wind and the rain sort of sense, but in terms of the cosmic event of it, was Jesus Christ going to the cross in our place. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, 46 says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those of you familiar with the prayer life of Jesus know that there is no other prayer that Jesus prayed that started with Eli, Eli. If you're the prayer that Jesus prayed that we have recorded in the Gospels is Abba, Father. On the cross, Jesus calls out, My God, my God. He doesn't call out Father in that moment because there is a separation that had happened. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you not answering me back? The greatest storm that had ever happened, even there in that situation, dark clouds gathering where this is happening. Jesus walked in His greatest storm. The very thing that if you are in Christ that you will never have to walk, ever. And that is knowing that in that time your God has forsaken you. He will never forsake you. Jesus was forsaken for you so that you would never know being forsaken by God. What good news. What good news is this? Jesus has walked this for us. And in that situation, those who were there who would have been watching this happen, seeing Jesus on the cross, surely they would have been thinking, no good can come from this. This is hopeless. This is despair. This man, some of them starting to clock it, he doesn't deserve to be there. Even a Roman guard ends up saying that. Surely this man's innocent. Surely this man is who he says that he is. What good can possibly come from this? Well, the good that comes from that storm as evidence of how God uses these storms for our good is the salvation of the world. Do you believe that the God of the universe can use your storm for your good? If not, look to the cross. Look to the greatest evidence the world has ever known. That nothing is beyond the power and the reach of God. Even His own Son on the cross in our place, God using that horrible, tragic, unfair, unjust situation, still using it for our good. An innocent man there in our place, still using it for our good.
And Jesus now exalted at the right hand of the Father. This is good news. This is good news as we face the storms of life. We're going to come to the tables in a few moments as I invite uh, the band to come and get set up. We're going to remember Jesus on the cross in our place. Him crying out, my God, my God, what?